0: Welcome travelers to Tabletop Journeys. Tonight, we're bringing you one very special episode about the Star Trek Preservation's actual play, this amazing game that Tabletop Journeys has been playing with an incredible cast you've met over the last several weeks. We're about to jump into season 2. But before we do, I want to take the time to thank every cast member who sat down with me over the last couple of weeks. Recorded great intro episodes, talked about themselves, talked about their characters, and just really got us primed and ready to go. But this episode, this is about the running of the game itself, what we've done, what we've learned, what we plan to do, how much fun we're having. This is your true and honest peek behind the hood of Tabletop Journeys and how we do the actual play. So I'm bringing you Tabletop Journeys' very own. Josh Newton.
1: <laughs> you know, it's really, Hit it, uh, baby! It's really, it's really interesting being on this side of things. Way too often, I'm the one that gets to do the show lead-in. I was just sitting over here, putzing with my camera, playing with my ring light a little bit, trying to go ahead and throw you off a little bit. But uh, that was quite the introduction, my friend. You've been working on that.
0: I have been. I've been waiting. We met with our dear friend across the pond at Snyder's yeah. Revenge a year-plus ago, I think, at this point. Or, or, it was a it's while has been a ago. while. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, it's been a while. Uh, been a I, first, it was uh, the first Kickstarter, yeah.
0: Yeah. And I can tell you, I remember how awesome it felt with the intro he gave. So I figured if I'm going to intro Josh, I'm going to do my take (laughs) on what he does. So this is my send up to our dear friend over in the UK. And I I hope I did you justice. Folks, listen to this. Subscribe, hit the bell, wherever you're hearing us, listening to us, watching us. Let us know what you think. If my intro is at least half good, throw me a bone, help me out. (laughs) Anyway, Josh.
1: How the heck are Uh, you, man? I'm doing absolutely fabulous. I'm excited to be uh, talking a little bit of STA tonight. I'm interested to talk a little bit about preservations and what we did in season one and a little bit about what's uh, coming up in season two. So this will be a good time.
0: Absolutely. We're doing this because I got a couple questions for you. I don't know if you got a couple questions for me. This is a peek behind the hood. The one thing that we're not planning to get into too much is specifically our individual histories. We have three years of podcasts to talk about <laughs> exactly. every game story we've had. So I'm going to leave yeah. much of that out. However, yeah. if there's an anecdote uh, from the past that we haven't measured out or doled out in, in other episodes, feel free to throw it in where it's appropriate. Yeah, yeah. But generally speaking, we know you game, we know how you came to it. Yeah. Uh, we've even had episodes where we talk about favorite Star Trek episodes. My first question, because we know your history with gaming and with sure. Star Trek over the last year in doing Star Trek preservations, What has that done for your love of this IP? How has that grown, changed, altered, affected, impacted how you approach
1: Star Trek? So I'm not sure that it changed my approach to Star Trek because I was like a deep in Star Trek dude. Like I remember watching Next Generation when I was a kid. When Next Generation first started, it had my attention immediately when Voyager started. And that first episode, Voyager comes out of space dock and it goes to engage the warp engines and then the nacelles slip up a little bit captured my imagination. I was absolutely in at that point. So I'm not sure that playing the game could have done anything else to my love of the Star Trek fandom. Like, I was in. I think that what it has definitely done, though, is shaped how I view game construction more than anything else. I think that's probably been the biggest impact because what Preservations is doing and specifically what the Star Trek Adventures layout of a game does is it makes you think about sessions way more cinematically than I remembered doing things for earlier, right? Like I was always a a storyteller that would plan out my sessions with various acts. And so you've got to hit certain milestones and then there are ways that you can get from milestone A to milestone B and everything like that. And I think that has largely stayed the same, but what has really come about in the sessions that I was able to lead was dramatic pacing. Not just that there are multiple ways to get from one milestone to another, but the pacing At which you get there and how to go ahead and ratchet up the tension to get from point A to point B. It's something that I think really came to fruition when uh, I was at a catacomb and running that Cthulhu inspired one shot there. That was like the pinnacle of my Star Trek running. So I'm really excited to go ahead and bring uh, some more of those skills to season two here. Awesome. I'm in a similar
0: boat. I was such a deep Star Trek fan. When we met, I had, I think at that time, something like two or three different uniforms. I was an active member in a Star Trek fan club. Uh, In fact, that was the XO for our our local ship. I was at that time a veteran of FASA games and shortly thereafter played last unicorn games. One that's literally like within arm's reach of where I sit at my desk at all times. Absolutely. It's that shelf right there, the top, <laughs>
1: exactly right. top box yeah. is my yep. Star
0: Trek box. But what this game for me did in a very similar way is change my approach to crafting, planning, and executing the game from behind the GM screen. And in all positive ways, I really started looking at those pacing questions, those narrative questions. And yeah. honestly, I think I've always been a very good improvisational GM. Sure. Yeah. But I think what I do today versus a year ago is vastly different. We've alluded to it in the previous show. I finished up a long term DD 5e campaign, and that was not the original plan. But something about my approach to that game was altered by the way I do this game in that what they're doing, these players, and how they're impacting this world is so great. I had the ability to provide epic moments. Why would I follow some path that would then drain on afterwards when this was the moment? When you asked me, I thought you were going to go longer. Originally, that was the plan. Right. But my players were so dang badass, it wasn't worth going after. And so I let them have that moment. And I let that be how we closed that campaign. Nice. I don't think I was doing that before this. Crafting the way I was trained in college as an English major to write in acts where you have your opening you have your act one where you're laying the groundwork you have your act two where the action rises you have your act three where somewhere within that framework is where the climax of your story is you have your act four where you get your conclusion and occasionally even an after bit that denouement where you have let's get into the characters and their feelings about this where do they go from here yeah I wasn't doing that in all the games. But now, even when I write 5e, I do that. I did an Everyday Heroes game the other day with our patrons and certainly wasn't in the starter adventure, but I gave them a Denoma because it felt right. And I love the fact that Star Trek Adventures RPG gave me that tool set.
1: Yeah, you and I on the show have talked at nauseum about the threat and momentum mechanic that exists in the 2d20 system, and how the interaction of those two currencies can so dramatically shape the gameplay. To the point that we have now taken that and applied it in other ways to other things. Like on some level, that's the same kind of thing that we were going for when we wrote the Dragonlance module, where we mm-hmm. had this meta currency that kind of floated in the background. That really determined the emotional well being of the character at at the central part of that story. And so we were trying to recreate that. You know, we talked before too about when we played Aliens and how the stress dice mechanic in Aliens helped that game so very much. And that mechanic kind of exists like throughout Free League games. It's in Blade Runner, it's in Conan, it's in other things too. And as a storyteller, it's something that you can go ahead and pull from. Again, I don't want to keep talking about the Cthulhu game, but the amount of threat that I was able to go ahead and play with really helped tell the dark, gritty story that I wanted to tell at that particular table. And without that currency, I would have felt forced. Here, I actually had a game mechanic that I could rest on say, ha, because of the amount of threat that has been building up. Like, this is the proper yeah. way to expend the amount of threat that has built up here. Now we're going to reverse because we need to go ahead and totally change the scene and put you someplace place else that is less comfortable than where you are absolutely
0: that's where we've been and how we've grown as gms with the game and i think that's a wonderful journey and i strongly recommend to folks who are interested in trying out a new game if there's not a table for you to play at with this game lead your group in this game, and you'll have a grand time. There's a ton of ways to do that. The starter box—that's a great place to start. Tons of shows. Our show—we talk about how to build characters. Yep. Or past episodes. Please check us out. Ask yep. us questions. We'll help you get
1: there. It's, Highlight for preservation so cool. was the box set admi- admission yeah. it, with some yeah. other stuff, but it was basically yeah. the box yeah. set.
0: We added a bit of meta plot from our own creation to yep. the box set to bracket it, but. Yeah we ran the actual adventure yeah. the adventure did is the same pretty thing with much, yeah <laughs> yeah the, the adventure is pretty the box set with some really cool unique tabletop journeys dressing uh, yeah. so it's definitely a great way to start yeah looking at season 1 and uh, how we ran the game for those who are new or maybe only caught one episode here or there i don't want y'all to be confused so let me spell it out for you we are two gms who are running one campaign, one ship, one cast of characters. And that's unusual. It's unique enough where when we said that's what we were going to do, lots of people in the SDA community were like, really? How are you doing that? We were invited on shows to just explain <laughs> yeah,
1: how we how did we do that. it. Yeah. And so, I, th- I think it's because a lot of people don't come from the background that you and I do. And again, like we've got three years of podcast to go ahead and, and re- lead people through this. But, We very much cut our storytelling teeth in the LARP community, specifically World of Darkness LARP, where this is not unusual, where you would have a cast of 5 to 10 storytellers because the games were running with 50 to 100 people. I think that's partially why it makes it a little bit easier for us.
0: Absolutely. Regardless of our LARP experiences, we have both run larger tables fairly sure. consistently and or been part of very large tables. We played one of the longest running campaigns I've ever been a part of. We we are still a part of that general campaign world 20 <laughs> something live later. streamed two different live streams on uh monthly three. for every, it's, yeah three if you I count the it, one that has split into a couple different things so that would mm-hmm, actually make it uh, like yeah. four we've been at it for a while but that group was probably averaging anywhere from 8 to 10 through its heyday uh but has had as many as 20 to 30 at an individual session that is the level of insanity that no GM needs to do again. And I don't even think that GM ever wants to do that again. He just yeah, yeah. managed it. What was it that Buzz Lightyear said? I wasn't flying. I was falling with style. That was that experience. But because we were used to running kind of in these chaotic environments, we're really good about sitting down, having planning meetings, figuring out what the overall plot was, and then deciding who's going to get what piece i would liken what we did to a very small writer's room and by that yep. I the two of them where we said what's the overall story yep. where do we need to be at the beginning the middle and the end yep. what are the what big are beats, beats that we need
1: to hit yeah
0: yeah are those full session stories or are they things that need to be within other stories how often do we need to hit them where do we need to hit them and then we each ran our own individual episodes that we wrote but there may have been elements or story beats that had to go in there, and we would utilize each other's NPCs that were created. We would talk about them, we yep. would listen to each other's episodes to say, okay. I need this voice or whatever in the early running. I think I may have even said at one point, I don't know if I'm going to get this voice down. I thought Josh did it really well. I'll <laughs> give it my best or something yep. like that. But we have a great cast. I was willing to go yes. along that. Like we have different voices ride. Yeah. But at the same time, I think our characterizations are spot on. I think of yeah. Damon Brazig. And I was just going to say Damon what, Brazig. What, yeah. an, what an awesome character. And whatever I had in my head when I first developed the character was cool. But then, when you had him that very second episode and yeah. I got to listen to what you did, I'm like, that's the sauce. Yeah. That's like we, the sauce. That's,
1: I, I love that you brought him up because he was exactly the example that I was going to think of. Because I remember after I ran that session when you and I were talking about Brazig, and I was like, yeah, Brazig did XYZ. And you're like, oh, I thought of Brazig as more like ABC. And I was like, oh. Okay, so here's how we square that circle. Here's how we go ahead and take what I did with him and what you wanted to do with him, and here's how we go ahead and develop that personality. We hashed it out, and it made a much rounder character, I think, than either of us imagined, which was fantastic. I also, I think back to the very first episode that I was able to run on the space station, the murder mystery episode, the way that we were able to break the characters open a little bit, break them into a thing, give them some options to go ahead and pursue and explore and everything like that, and lead them through this murder mystery and see how their characters would evolve. You look at a character like Tanari and the way that he became this like conspiracy theory expert in that episode, it shaped his character for the rest of the season and continues to go ahead and shake, shape how Tanari views things to this day. You, you go back and listen to Dave Redout's interview here, and he talks about how Tanari is basically a conspiracy theorist. I'd love to go ahead and say it was born from that game. And honestly, at the end of the day, it was born from the fact that the very first roll at that game in that session Dave rolls a complication trying to go ahead and see what's going on and the complication yep. he happened to roll was that he thought one of the people in the room there was actually dead and why did that happen it was just a fabulous way that like that one roll and we give Dave a fair amount of crap for the fact that his it, dice it, take it, a little bit to warm up <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> a, yep. he starts the night with d d dice let's just put it that way and that all just came about from that episode if we're being totally honest and i'm pulling out from behind the screen here i don't know how that episode goes that well without that complication because it was the perfect complication and he picked the perfect person to think was already dead it happened to be the antagonist that he thought was already dead sometimes as a storyteller your job is to set up the pieces and then sit back and watch your players play chess That was exactly what that was from the moment that he rolled that complication and fingered the bad guy as like, wait a minute, you're dead. You're not supposed to be here. I saw you die. He just relentlessly like that dog would not give up on that bone. He was going to get it from a storyteller point of view. I just sat back and I was like, the knobs are where they need to be. The levers that need to be flipped have been flipped. The buttons that need to be pushed have been pushed. I'm just holding on for dear life now, and I hope that they stay within the rails because too wildly out of control, I don't know that I can pull it back. So hopefully it just yeah. stays where it's going. Hopefully the ship is pointed in the right direction and it's not off by a parsec or two. It's-
0: Absolutely. And for the audience, if you have not already listened to Lieutenant Tanari's Meet the Cast episode, Dave's episode, Please Do, he will tell you that one of his favorite NPCs was... Damon Brazig, that's the one he really wants to dig into in season two. Again, Star Trek Adventures has three tiers of NPCs, minor, major, and notable, with notable being the highest, most deeply involved as far as the character creation goes. Damon Brazig was on the lower end of that spectrum by original definition. It's now a full-on character with all the bells and whistles with a pretty decent backstory. Those who listened to episode 10 from season one, you got a little glimpse of that. Those of you who are about to listen to season two, you're going to get a little more glimpse of that. And I think it's really cool that that's a character that you and I created together. There's a lot of things that we've done together yeah. over the years, but I am especially proud of Damon yep. Brazig. Switching gears and looking at moments within season one. Oh, man. It was a long season. We did 10 full episodes. It equates yeah. to about four podcast episodes per session that we recorded. Each of those were, were four to five hour-ish, sometimes a little bit longer right. episodes. So a good amount of role-playing. At times, it felt like being back in high school or college where we had those yeah. epic long sessions where it's, okay, who's getting dinner now? That kind of thing. But <laughs> uh, great role-playing. There were also some of them that went so fast that I'm like, yeah. it's been four hours. What just happened? Where'd I and I'm running the game. Like, I know where we are. I'm yeah. responsible for the pacing. And I'm like, holy crap. Wow. Yeah. This was amazing. Looking at season one, can you give me a couple moments? Yeah. And I'm thinking specifically, can you give me the moment in the sessions that you ran that you feel were the most, quote unquote, Star Trekky moment? That's point one. And point two, can you give me the moment in season one where you felt you were part of the coolest development of one of the characters involved? And then the third and final one is, can you give me the moment in, in one of the sessions you ran where it clicked that, my God, this game is so hot and I love what I'm doing. Those are yeah. the three moments I'm looking for.
1: Okay. Star Trekiest moment for me, I think, was the episode where the away crew of the Delamis Christian without their commanding officer because Joe very smartly said the captain would not go with them. So I'm going to break out my backup character and he played the the science officer Ali Gom when they were kidnapped by the Breen. And it was not a single moment. There's not a moment in that episode where I was like, oh, yep, that's a Star Trek moment. It was more the attitude of the crew. Because to set the stage, they are traveling through these funky subspace tunnels that had been carved out of space. They're investigating them, trying to figure out what's going on. Ultimately, they trip a trap and get kidnapped by the Breen. And the Breen basically unceremoniously deposit them in this mining asteroid. The hangar bay doors on the asteroid close just as the episode is ending. And then the next episode begins with them in the hangar from the moment we said go that crew was bound and determined to get out of where they were figure out what was going on. They were not going to fail in that mission. And for that entire episode, they were so on point and so capable and moved through whatever I could have put in front of them so deftly. I was like, yeah, this is a crew that knows how to work as a crew. From the moment when they're in there and they're like, we need a distraction. Uh, Again, Joe playing a leak is like, let's blow out the bus art scoops and fill the area with steam. So now the entire hangar is filled with gas and everything like that. That entire thing, really, for me, was like, yep, here's a crew that's thinking and acting together like a crew, like an away team. So that, for me, was that moment as, like, the biggest kind of jump in character development. I can think of two moments, and they both have to do with Tanari. Um, first one that I already talked about, where he dove into a like, conspiracy theory Tanari, right? Where he's like, nope, I, I, I am relentlessly going to pursue this thread because I am certain that if I pull on it, the sweater is going to unravel, and I'll be able to go ahead and see what's underneath. That kind of like, dogged pursuit, which so fits Tanari because he's got that daring engineer kind of quality to him, right? He's like, nope, I am not going to let the this go, I'm going to figure this out. And then in the same episode that I was talking about in Broken Chains, after they have flooded the hangar bay with the gases fr- from the buzzard scoops, they're now trying to go ahead and like, move through, like, secure the area and everything like that. Tanari basically comes out of the fog with his Andorian weapon and takes out one of the NPCs with great prejudice and high degrees of malice. He's got like, the laser rifle slung over his shoulder. I'm gonna put down my rifle, take out my Ushan, and just run at this guy like he stole my lunch money. <laughs> it's like <laughs> so those kind of two moments for me so clearly established who uh, Tanari was do you want early access to every tabletop journeys episode how about exclusive content live broadcasts and the chance to throw dice with your favorite hosts and fellow fans or heck do you just want to support the show Join our Patreon today at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. We have tiers to fit any budget for a monthly commitment, or you can make a one-time contribution to the cause. We love doing this show for y'all, and support helps us keep creating and producing great content for you. So join us today at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. I think that for me, that moment happened the first part of Broken Chains when they were dealing with the nebula and trying to secure what was going on with the nebula. Damon Brazig had contacted them, said that he's losing ships. They start getting these hints about what's going on. There's these little dribs and drabs, and they'll get a question, and the answer doesn't really make sense. So They're using momentum to go ahead and drive more, and I'm giving them a little bit more and giving them a little bit more. And in my head when I was writing that episode, because I knew that it was going to be a two-part episode, they didn't actually know that we had not told them that this was going to be a mid-season two part. So we're reading the episode, and I had my head, once they get too close to the truth, that's when this key event is going to happen to make them leave the dilemmas Christian and pick one of the shuttlecraft. I had that clock in my head, and because of their successful use of threat and momentum, they're getting more information. They're getting closer and closer. Carrie, you are talking about how you can't believe that four hours has gone. How has this gone? I think it's because the way that the crew is functioning and the way that we're running to, that four hours is getting shorter because they're moving through these things faster and the games are picking up a little bit more. They're getting a little bit more efficient. That was the first time that I was like, oh, here is how seasoned players who understand how to make that momentum pool sing, to go ahead and use what Adam said, Uh, and the greatest gift that we can be given is momentum because it lets us give them enough rope we'll keep giving it to them until we get them just so close to the truth before Big Bang happens. And now they realize that they have stumbled into the snare and that getting too much rope maybe isn't exactly what they wanted.
0: Absolutely. So much agreement with all the moments and points you brought up there. I will say for me, just listening to your episodes, not as a game master in the same campaign, but just as a lover of Star Trek, I thought that your episode where you had the alien entity stuck in the nebula and the, yes. through the dilemmas, Christian had helped free them—that yep. for me was one of the most Star Trekky moments. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I almost had a vision of Nagilum from TNG, <laughs> thought processes of V'ger. So many Star Trek episodes had some All these grand entities. entity yeah. that were there, and they always had some really basic humanistic issue that we inherently understood yeah that made the unknowable or the ununderstandable if such a word actually exists understandable and it made the whole moment no matter how weird and science fiction
1: like it was really personal and real yep they had a natural humanity even though they were by definition supernatural creatures
0: absolutely and i love the fact that that I get to sit across the mic from a creator who yeah. loves this IP as much as I do. Yeah. And even though we have these great action beats and these great moral tales and all these other things that is Star Trek, because they're all Star Trek, right? But yeah. you can still find those moments where it can be figure out the science, but it's really about just helping somebody get home. I really loved that that moment. That to me was yeah. very cool. That yeah. was my personal favorite moment that you did. That felt really Star Trekky to me. That I, was a lot
1: of fun. Yeah, it was a really great. That, that was a it
0: was a great episode to listen to. There were so many great things. There's a lot of great techno babble. I know Dave loves his techno babble, and I felt <laughs> that had plenty of it in yeah. there.
1: Yeah, that was episode six, chasing after the wind, when they were trying to investigate what was going on at the nebula. So my last question for you as a GM of Star Trek Preservations, we're going to
0: look towards the future as one should do when you're dealing with Star Trek, is really going to just pop a quick question to you about season two without getting too spoilery. What (laughs) I'm not going to tell you to put it all out there. What are you really looking forward to in season two?
1: Yeah. So obviously I... I'm really excited about the story beats that are coming in season 2 and the way that we're advancing the plot that was laid out from the pilot and kind of progressed a little bit through season 1 until the season finale and then through now the be- the opening episode of season 2 which may may not have aired but basically there is a meta plot and those episode 10 from season 1 and episode 1 from season 2 are critical to understanding That plot. So I would highly recommend people go out there and listen. And as much fun as hitting heavy story beat episodes is because everybody loves writing an episode that has a little hook that kind of ties in that main episode. I got to say one of the things that I have been enjoying is that I have been writing a holodeck episode for season two that I am really looking forward to. I think that our players will maybe enjoy it after the fact. I'm not sure how much they're going to enjoy it while they're in the middle of it, because those holodeck episodes always had that little bit of frustration for the crew here. I think it'll be a fun level of frustration. I'm not going to play the holodeck gone wrong trope or anything. I'm not going like, on Moriarty or anything like that. But there are going to be some wrinkles in maybe a holodeck novel or something like that. So I'm really looking forward to doing an episode in a bottle. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. to Take the players out of where they are because I really like to tell those type of stories. Like fish out of waters, like hear you are in your nice, comfortable area. Now I'm going to take you out of your nice, comfortable area. How do you function and how do you get back? How does your character strive to get back to that level of comfort that they had before Before I yanked them out unceremoniously? I'm really looking forward to yanking them unceremoniously.
0: Awesome. Josh, that is all the GM questions I have yeah. for you relating to season one and season two of Star Trek Preservations. Do you have any questions for me about what Uh, we've been through over the past year?
1: So I did. I had a whole list of questions. And just in the way that happens, as we're conversing here, they were answered. Like, I wanted to know, how did you view the difference between running Star Trek versus running other games? But we've talked... Done that a lot. (laughs) Only to go ahead and say, I want to echo and and reiterate what you said at the very beginning on your very kind opening. I'm having so much fun working this with you. This has been a ton of fun, and I'm not sure I've ever run a game quite like this with such interaction between two storytellers. And I really look forward to see where this goes. One of the things that I love about our collaboration
0: as GMs in this game is it, our collaborations in general are like this for me. And I, I think I've said this before. I've certainly said it about singing in music. Like sure. when we were at a catacomb and I got to sit next to you while I did some karaoke, we've sung together, we've done music together, we were in a band together. We did all these things over the years. Yeah. But I really love the ability to say, hey, Josh, I've been telling you for years, I've been getting better at this thing and I'm really good at this thing. <laughs> Here I am. And I went out there and I did a song that was nothing like anything I used to do. Yeah. yeah. When I did Bobby Caldwell I mean, exactly or anything. Yeah. Yeah. And and for me, it was like, I want to show off for my best friend. Right? That's how yeah. I feel about it. And oh man. In many ways, what we do creatively, and certainly what we've been doing with Star Trek Preservations is like that for me. Once we had our season plotted out and we're doing different Episodes, and we had a bunch of ideas that were there. Hey, I'm going to grab that idea for the background for this episode or whatever. But in many ways, it was like, man, when you did that science episode with the with the creature, I'm like, wow, how do I top that? Like, (laughs) I I can't top that. Like, I just didn't. I just, quite honestly, I didn't. Right. But when you did that first part of the Zindi mission and you handed that off to me, it's okay you get to do the, the clock is running the fun part like yeah. <laughs> you've got it all set up now the clock is running how do they do this and yeah. i really felt that it was a situation where and thankfully we have a great cast of folks yeah and the way they approach the game is so oh, awesome man. they are so invested in their characters and so invested in this world we're creating that it made it easier but for me it was like how do i follow support and Expand, express, and make better of this great thing you handed yeah. me because you handed me a wonder. And then, how do I keep <laughs> that going, right? It, yeah. I, I think of ancient man, the first ancient man <laughs> who, had,
1: with the fire. Oh, who had
0: fire. <laughs> oh, there's fire. And he hands it to his buddies, like, here's fire. And I'm like, oh, okay, we have fire. There's nothing I can do to this except I'm going to put a steak on this bad boy. Exactly, you know, yeah. and then smell that. Yeah. fire.
1: You all, know, all, all of a sudden they stopped getting <laughs> trichinosis. Exactly.
0: It's, yeah, like it's wonderful. And I just love the fact that I can take what you give and make it better not that anything yeah. you did wasn't good no, no, but no. i can help make it better and you help make me better like, yeah, totally. like yeah. it's like we drive each other to we fed off of each other a lot act- and
1: it's funny uh, again we want to talk about like from behind the screen here a little bit look at the risk of admitting something that i should never admit as a storyteller we did so much in season 1 i'd forgotten about the Zindi episode like, yeah. that was probably one of the greatest like, experiences like the writing and doing the first part of that i remember the moment when they realized how deep in the sh- they were with that ship when the Cindy Dijkstra first kind of crests over the moon that it was like hiding behind. And like, how big wow. is this ship? I'm like, really big. What do you mean, really big? I was like, really? It's like a colony ship. Like, a colony. Why would it be that? Oh no Yeah. <laughs> a, yeah. Oh boy. So all right, episode done, see you all next one. <laughs> yep. Oh no, what do we do? That, that episode, poor ensign. That poor ensign yeah, trying to that poor trying ensign. to translate for
0: <laughs> But the beauty is that episode, which was not in theory one of the key meta plot episodes yeah, no, but no. just a great couple of episodes an awesome story arc yeah. resonated so well yeah. It, was I a think cast about, episode. yeah it was definitely and i love the fact that during our cast interview a couple of weeks ago with adam he talks about the fact that what a moment that was for ocean and he yeah. talks about how he reflects on how that's going to have his character interact with some of his family members listen yeah. to that episode if you haven't listen to all those episodes if you haven't but i love the fact that Out of our 10 episodes, we did so much that every one of those episodes had little moments like that. We're never, in the course of a quick interview between the two of us, get into all of it. That's what we have 10 episodes for. right. I think we hit on some of the real big high
1: points, and we've talked about a lot. Every episode of the season was important for some reason, and not all of them were important because they touched on the main plot. Some of them were important because we were building how this crew functions and how these players interact with one another. And the Zindi subplot was was one of those things, where it gave the players some information on who their characters were in a way that just even going through the life path system can't necessarily do. It gave them the opportunity to think through problems as their characters. There were certainly consequences to whatever would happen with the Zindi, right? But at the end of the day... They weren't like main plot complications. You could isolate those two or three stories and say, okay, these can go horribly wrong, and I can learn something about my character, and then be able to go ahead and actually deal with what's going on the rest of the seasons." Every episode had a purpose. It just wasn't always to, t- to go ahead and touch on the main point.
0: And shout out to Enterprise, the forlorn of the UPN era of Star Trek, because we got to bring out a species that was featured heavily in that series that hasn't (laughs) been seen since. And I really enjoy the fact that we can reach into the deep archives and pull out gems for our show. I look forward to being able to do more of that in season two. You know... I love the fact that this game is fun. We have fun running it. We have fun writing it. We have fun playing it with our cast. I like when uh, we give each other calls during the day. Like, ooh, ooh, ooh! this is cool. I like this. <laughs> Those kind of moments are amazing. And if you've ever wondered about what it's like to team up and co-GM, I'm not saying we've got it down pat or we're perfect at it, but I think we do a pretty daggum good job. If you got questions as to how to do it, give us a shout. We're happy to help you. We're going to wrap up tonight. I want to give my gratitudes to Nate Dowdell for the amazing work he did creating this game, developing the 2D20 system for the Star Trek IP. I want to give amazing kudos to... Michael Desmuke, who took the time out of his exceptionally busy schedule to reach out to a little old creator like me and encourage me to get over some of my imposter syndrome and fears and really dig into this great game. I want to give shout outs to absolute friend of the show, Al Spader, for being there for Tabletop Journeys when we had any number of questions to help us run a great game. So much of what you've talked to us about, told us about, and shared with us, Al, has been why this game has been successful. If you are familiar with Al's work or you're not, get familiar with it, grab his game Sentience, grab his works and any of the books that he's doing and any ones that are coming out soon. You will not be disappointed. Every time I talk to him, I get something new that I'm going to put into my games. So it's (laughs) wonderful. And without any doubt, let me give my absolute gratitudes to Jim Johnson. (laughs) Thank you all. Big head himself. Yeah. Thank you all for all you've done for bringing Star Trek Adventures RPG to the shelves in our local game stores and on the internet and keeping this game alive and going for all this time so we have a great game to play. And Jim, please find that big hat. (laughs) so I can see you in it again. My life will not be complete unless you've got that hat on, and I can see you do some pack led stuff. Josh, how about you? What do you have for gratitudes?
1: So I have five gratitudes that I'm going to go through, but I'm going to go through them in very quick succession. This show would not exist without Joe, Adam, Glenn, Dave, and This season, adding in Lacey. Really looking forward to how the show's gonna go and what they bring to the table because you and I could write a series, the two of us, but it would be a whole lot less fun if we didn't have them uh, coming every month to go ahead and play it with us. So thank you all. And man, I'm really excited for uh, Preservation's season two uh, premiere next Tuesday.
0: Yes. I also wanna give a quick shout out to Sean Music. His Patreon links will be below. His music helped this show a lot when we were building it. We're like, we got to find a theme song for it and being members of his Patreon and having access to such great music for such great moments really helps our our theme music for the show is inspired and it fits what we're trying to do so well. So thanks again, Sean. Thanks to the audience. Thanks to all of our patrons who help us keep the lights on. And as I try to always say, whenever I close a Star Trek episode, I D I C y'all.